AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. It is one of those years, and it is right now the right time of the year, that it's relatively simple to make both a bull and a bear case for the year ahead. At the bottom of it all are the long-range expectations or probabilities for grain stocks on September 1, 2024. Live from the waiting moments of January via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, we'll talk with Kevin McNew from FBN. And right after the news, Varsity Joe Vaklovic from Standard Grain. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, here's the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis Michelson. See what you did to me yesterday? Do you see what you did? Mm, I'm not sure. You asked a question Uh about... How are we supposed to take all of this information in? On one hand, this, on one hand, that. And I said, Mm -hmm. no, it's not just the information. It is calculating, analyzing the probabilities of what is going to happen. You know, one of my, not one of my, my best friend growing up was uh, Steve. Okay. I don't talk about Steve all that often. Not nearly enough. Hello, Steve. But Steve. 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 Uh, but every now and then, uh, he deserves a mention, and this is one of those times. He'd look at me sometimes, and he'd say, yeah, Chip, that's possible, but it's not probable. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, is it possible that we could end the 2024 marketing year, and I mean the 23-24 marketing year, with overflowing supplies of corn and soybeans? Sure. Is it probable? Probably not. Probably not. So it's that balancing act. You got me thinking about it. That was a double probable you just put on us. Probably uh, yeah. not probable. Probably, I'm not, probably not probable. I just does that, that probably make I? it probable? It's not probable. Improbable. Not probable. No? Improbable, I think is how you say that. <laughs> it's improbulous, Chip. <laughs> See, you got me thinking about things, and you didn't even know you got me thinking about things. How did that I just happen? wanted to make you talk for a little bit. Did that our was brains separate? My only thing. Did our I... brains separate? Well, if they did, it'd be to your benefit, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, Kevin McNew uh, from FBN is going to jump in for that part of the conversation. We'll cool. see if we can get it all figured out coming up Good. here. All right, let's get to the news. What do you got? Well, Chip, wheat futures traded higher throughout the session, but backed off from session highs late in the session. End of the month position evening had an influence on all of the grain markets today. Much of the money flow trade in the wheat markets showed up late, with SRW futures gaining on HRW futures as traders liquidated spreads. Monthly updates to hard red winter wheat crop conditions showed significant deterioration from last month in Oklahoma, Colorado, and Montana. Conditions improved somewhat in Nebraska, South Dakota, and Kansas, but the overall HRW rating declined from December. March hard red winter wheat futures were a nickel higher at 878 and three quarters. March soft red wheat up eight and three quarter cents, 761 and one quarter. March spring wheat closed at 922 and a quarter. 
up three quarters of a cent. Declines in a wheat crop that went into the ground under pressure, Chip. Yeah, yeah, in really bad shape. The pro farmer crop condition index for the HRW down like nine points, and and well below the uh, the dormancy the the numbers that we had at the end of November. So it's really hurting out there. Corn futures opened mostly steady and traded lower for most of the overnight session. After spiking support at yesterday's low, March corn futures rallied to spike resistance at yesterday's highs on end-of-the-month position evening. March corn posted an outside trading day, but did fall back to close just above support at yesterday's low. Selling pressure was limited by second crop corn planting delays in Brazil. Adding some confusion to the corn market, news that Ukraine's neighboring countries are asking that Ukrainian grain stops being dumped inside their borders. March corn futures four cents lower, six seventy nine and three quarters. May corn down three and three quarter cents, six seventy seven and one half. July corn futures closed at six sixty five and one quarter, down two and one quarter cents. Chip. Yeah, this is the story that we were that, that you had this morning on the news. But let's mm-hmm. move it further away, and and out of Europe, those grain stocks that are coming out of Ukraine. So we've got Hungary, Poland, Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, Romania, and Bulgaria have all asked the EU to, don't just dump it on our side of the border, move right. it on out of here, it's hurting yeah. our farmers. Well, soybean oil was sharply higher, but soybean meal was moderately lower as traders evened positions at the end of the month. Soybean futures favored following the bean oil market to the upside and posted a close above the opening range. Heavy rains in the heart of Brazil's biggest bean-growing state is having more influence on day-to-day price movement And the forecast calls for continued chances of rains over the next 30 days, which would further delay an already delayed bean harvest. March beans were two and three quarter cents higher, but 15.38. May beans up three quarters of one cent, 15.30 and one quarter. July beans closed at 15.18 and three quarters, down three quarters of a penny chip. Yeah, beans were slightly higher. The old crop led the way, March up two and three quarters. But that was on top of some strong gains yesterday. That that was an impressive move in beans today, even though it was just two and three quarter cent. Well, cotton trade has turned sharply sideways. March futures today posted an inside <laughs> trading range with a low range open and a high range close. March cotton, 112 points higher, 86.22. On the livestock's live cattle futures were mixed ahead of the cattle inventory report, while feeder cattle futures rallied on the weakness in feed prices. February cattle a dime higher, 158.55. March feeders up. 222 and one half to 186.15 and sellers remain in control of the lean hog market february hogs 27 and one half cents lower 74.87 and one half chip all right david thank you so much let's bring in joe vaklovic standard grain how you doing joe i'm good chip how are you well doing all right here at the end of the month when it's only 11 degrees out there it's a whole lot better we've warmed up about 30 degrees from this morning it's looking pretty good out there Good for you. Paradise. Summer. <laughs> That's right. Okay, final day of the month. Uh, what'd you make of it? I think there's a few things of interest in the soybean market. Um, South America, you've got like two different stories. Argentina has a drought. It's been alleviated a little bit recently, but they're going to be short for sure. And then maybe the harvest delay story in Brazil turns into something. And the mm-hmm. rains are always going to be a double-edged sword. They're going to help production overall. It's, it's more good than bad. But the delays could be something. The other thing I think is interesting is the um, the pace of soybean shipments and sales out of the U.S. are still really good. I mean, the number that they reported yesterday was strong. 
And it leads some people to believe that USDA may have uh, not been totally correct in reducing their uh, export estimate earlier this month. Yeah, 55 million bushels they took out of that export estimate. It seemed like a bite, but we've got two more weeks of data in there as well to to go on, including yesterday's good inspections number. Okay, February, what 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 do you see happening the month ahead? Um, well, we start to set crop insurance prices tomorrow, which is um, a big deal, uh, especially this year with these high input prices. Um, it's, it's certainly not the greatest risk management tool in the world, but I think it'll be nice for farmers to at least know where that crop insurance backstop is. Um, other than that, I mean, this uh, second and much larger Brazilian corn crop is going to turn into a big deal, planting pace, weather conditions, all of those things. I mean, I think Argentina weather is still going to be a big deal. And we're going to start talking about U.S. acres after that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get uh, start to do that survey at the end of the month, first part of, of March. All right, buddy. Good stuff. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. See you. Bye. All right, Joe Vaklovic, Standard Grain. Okay, so what are the probabilities of uh, bulging supplies of corn and soybeans at the end of the 23-24 marketing year? We're going to discuss that with Kevin McNew next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. On your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device, Agritalk is live every weekday. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you're with us this afternoon. Uh, Let's get right to it. Kevin McNew is the VP of Farmers Business Network Research and is the chief economist there at FBN, and he joins us right now. Kevin, welcome back. It's good to talk with you. Good to have you talking to me, Chip. Uh, how are things <laughs> in Iowa? No, you know what? We're doing okay. It's I, like I was telling Joe. I mean, we've already gained about 30 degrees today from low to yeah. high. We're doing pretty good. Yeah, well, you know, I'm in Montana, so we're at minus 27 to start the day. And I got to say, I was in your in your neck of the woods two weeks ago, and uh, the Iowa weather didn't treat me well. There was a tornado warning there right as I pulled into Cedar Rapids. So, my gosh, you guys yeah. got some crazy weather. Yes, we do. That was, I think, that was the first tornado in Iowa since like 1967, something like that. Yeah, yeah the, the, it's, it, we, we've been talking about that quite a bit. We got to be prepared for some more volatility in the weather for, for the next few years for sure. Is, uh, 
Uh, well, that's a whole other discussion that guy could spend the whole time talking about. So let's not do that. Instead, <laughs> Kevin, I've been talking with guest analysts on here about acres for 2023, specifically corn and soybean acres here in the U.S. for 2023. Right. Let's broaden that conversation a little bit and take me globally. Uh, yeah. What are the trends? I think um, I think it's going to be a world that is going to have more oil seeds in general. And of course, some of that beans, but some of it's, you know, canola and to our neighbors to the north. And it's going to be uh, sunflowers and things like that. You know, Ukraine is a good case study because, you know, obviously they're still struggling with what is about the one year anniversary of the war. Uh, farmers there are probably going to be planting more uh, sunflowers and soybeans, but not corn because of, you know, some of the constraints on fertilizer and things like that. And I think that's a message that really is going to be kind of globally widespread. You know, nitrogen prices have come down, but they're still really, really elevated. And so I think farmers globally are going to be, you know, kind of looking at the oilseed versus feed grain situation and probably going more oilseed. Uh, here in the U.S., we might be in in line for a slight bump in corn acres. We'll see what the the poll says uh, from FBN's farmers uh, here in another month. But you know, I think where we will see corn acres increase in the U.S. is probably in the upper Midwest. The Minnesota North Dakota guys told us in the fall that they would probably grow more corn because of all the challenges they had last growing season. Uh, but I think okay. I think the the next leg up in 23 is, is on the corn side. That's kind of my takeaway for farmers. Okay. So let's stay global on this. And you were talking about, uh, nitrogen prices. I haven't heard much about the high price of nitrogen slowing down expected second crop or safrina corn plantings in Brazil. Have, has there been any talk about that at all? Yeah, I don't think that does too much. In fact, if anything, what we saw from some of the, the acreage estimates is actually, you know, Brazilian farmers are actually putting more into the second season safrina corn crop because they're planting more beans. So, you know, historically, the second season crop was not a moneymaker. I mean, it's only in the last four or five years that they've actually yeah. started to make some money on it because they've started to get an export market. So it's always kind of been a, a second level crop that they didn't put a lot of inputs in they didn't worry too much right. about it's obviously the risky part of the growing season uh but now you know now it's getting a little more interesting because they are opening up more export markets you know they're getting into china now um but it still has the big risks it has the you know the potential to be the dry part of the growing season as well as getting into the frost part and you know as your previous caller said Mato Grosso getting hit by quite a bit of rain in the next 30 days which does push that second season crop out. So, yeah. you know, that's another quiver in what I think is a pretty positive bull story for corn as we get further into the 23 calendar year. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to come back to that because I, I, I do want to switch over to something else that you said. Uh, more canola acres, neighbors to the north. What about here in the U.S.? Can we increase canola plantings in the U.S. up where you're at right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, my producers up here in, in the upper Midwest and in, you know, Pacific Northwest, Montana in particular, where I am, 
you know, guys are going to be looking at things that are, are less nitrogen intensive, although, you know, prices are high generally across crops. So it's not a slam dunk that they move away from wheat. Um, you know, we didn't have much movement on the winter wheat side of things up here in, in Montana, but I think spring wheat could probably come back. We've had really good soil moisture, a lot of snow, uh, a lot of good, a uh, lot of good potential for irrigation as, as um, you know, reservoirs get rebuilt. So I do think, you know, spring wheat is going to be competitive with uh, canola, but uh, you know, I think, I think really, you know, the, the bean story in some sense, I think is short term, maybe a little negative because farmers will be plowing into more beans. But, you know, the demand side of the bean story is we look out two to three years with all the soy crushing capacity that's coming yeah. online. I think it's just phenomenal. You know, you're talking about what looks to be a 10 million acre new source of demand in U.S. soybeans in the next, call it three and a half, four years, with much of that happening in the 23 and the 24 marketing years. So the crop that farmers are planting now uh, or will plant this spring and then the next year's crop, we're talking about needing an extra 8 million acres in that you know short two-year time period. Wow. So I think that's underlying support. So okay. as much as I'm, I'm maybe not as bullish on beans, I don't think beans fall out of bed. Okay. Now, that increase, 10 million acre, just call it 50 bushel per acre, 500 million bushels, something like that. Yep. Um, it, it, does all of that have to be grown in the U.S., or can we get some of that extra, extra, extra is not right, additional? Can we get some of that additional supply from outside of the U.S.? And, you know, I'm looking at Brazil again. Right. I think what happens, and I get asked this question a lot by farmers because they, you know, they're good at math. They scratch their head and go, where's the world, you know, where's the U.S. going to get 10 million more acres of beans? Right. And I think the math works out this way, Chip. I think it works out that we start to cut into our exports that we do today or we have done historically. Right. And, you know, go back to the ethanol world, you know, back in, you know, the early and mid 2000s. You know, there was no ethanol and ethanol had to kind of buy demand. And the way it did that was kind of choke off some of the exports of corn. And so I think that's probably more likely what happens is, you know, and if you look at the siting of some of these new facilities, I mean, I think there's two or three that are going in in North Dakota. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not going to ship beans from Brazil to North right. Dakota. Yeah, the market's no going to need to do its job and get, you know, North Dakota farmers to to grow those beans and and keep them out of the Chinese export market that goes to the PNW. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a really fun and interesting couple of years here in agriculture. I think yeah, we got we, I, we got some good times ahead. Yeah, the it feels like we're talking about the domestication of the soybean market again. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's a great yeah. way to say it. You know, we're we're going to be doing a lot more domestically. Um, you know, in terms of crushing those beans. And yeah. I think that's good for the, you know, that's good for America. It's good for do the U.S. farmer. Okay. Yeah. Do do we use the meal from this uh, to, to grow the animals here or do we try to export the meal? Yeah, I think it's a, it's probably a little of both, you know, I mean, there is a, you know, as you know, there's a, a good export market for meal. Um, you know, we'll run into, you know, com competition with Argentina because they're a big soy crusher. But, you know, I think we'll have plenty of meal that 
that'll need to find a home, whether it's domestic or, or internationally. And so that'll be up for the market to decide. You know, and I, I do think it's, you know, it's a situation where, you know, as we talk to farmers, you know, about the couple of years ahead, you know, we don't see prices on the grain and oilseed side going back to what was, you know, normal before this latest run-up of the last couple of years. We think we stay in this elevated world for some time. And I think okay. inputs are going to stay elevated as well. You know, I think, you know, yeah, fertilizers back down a little bit, but it's still elevated. Uh, you know, chem prices are coming down. You know, we have our pulse on, you know, the world uh, chemical, farm chemical market. And we can tell you, you know, it's it's probably, sure. it's probably flattened out here. I know farmers are sitting on their hands, but uh, I, I think we're kind of at, you know, the low point for this cycle. And I think we're probably just going to stay here and move higher into the spring. So I don't think farmers are going to see much benefit from waiting at this point. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. We are talking with Kevin McNew. He's the VP of FBN Research, Chief Economist there at FBN. Um, one of the questions that I asked Kevin in the email that I sent him earlier uh, was how likely is it that prices for corn and soybeans in particular will be lower one year from today than what they are right now? I'm thinking about the new crop contracts there, Kevin. Put your thoughts to that over the break. We'll talk about it next here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Time now for news of note from ProFarmer. The International Monetary Fund's outlook is less gloomy than its October forecast, and it said it could represent a turning point. China's official manufacturing purchasing managers index increased to 50.1 in January. That's the first expansion in the factory sector since September 2022. The Eurozone economy grew 0.1% in the final quarter of 2022, easing from a mild expansion in the previous three-month period, but beating market consensus. Trade between China and Russia boomed last year, providing a lifeline to Russia's beleaguered economy and showing the limits of Western sanctions. And China's sow herd increased 0.6% in December from November to 43.9 million head. This, according to Ag Ministry data, sow inventories up 1.4% from the end of 2021. News of note is taken from the pages of ProFarmer. Get more at tryprofarmer.com. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. When news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on AgriTalk with Chip Flory. Welcome back to AgriTalk. 
I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you're with us. Uh, we are in the middle of a conversation with Kevin McNew from FBN. First, Davis, let's go ahead yes. and recap where the market's closed. Well, Chip, I can tell you, March hard red winter wheat futures were a nickel higher, 878 and three quarters. March soft red wheat up eight and three quarters cents today to 761 and one quarter. March corn futures were four cents lower at 679 and three quarters. July corn futures closed at 665 and one quarter, down two and one quarter cents. March beans two and three quarter cents higher, 1538. July soybeans closed at 1518 and three quarters. That's down three quarters of one cent. March cotton 112 points higher, 8622. On your livestocks, February live cattle were a dime higher, 15885. March feeders up two dollars twenty-two and one half cents to one eighty-six fifteen. In February, lean hogs were twenty-seven and one half cents lower, seventy-four eighty-seven and one half. By the way, April hogs down a dime, all the way up at eighty-six forty-two and a half. Quite the spread there. That's your quick market recap. Back yeah. to you, Chip. All right, thank you very much, Davis. By the way, yep. Total number of cattle and calves in the U.S. herd on January one, two thousand twenty-three. 89.3 million head. That's 3% below 92.1 million a uh -huh. year ago. So down 3%. Uh, the trade expectations were around a 2.9% decline from a year ago. Wow. Okay. Um, so it's right in line. But there are, yeah. there, there are some interesting estimates uh, in this cattle inventory report that, were, that was released uh, at the top of the hour, 2 o'clock. Central time. We'll go through some of those details uh, in the final segment today, okay? I've made a note. Yeah. Awesome. Kevin McNew, VP of FBN Research, Chief Economist there at FBN. Uh, okay, so before we get to that question that I asked at the end of the last segment, I think it's important to go over a little bit more about what you expect in the year ahead out of Ukraine. I think it, it what, and, and the, the comments or the request from six of Ukraine's neighbors saying, hey, it's great that we're getting the grain out of Ukraine, but don't just dump it here. Get it to where it really needs to be. I I thought that, that's a very interesting story, Kevin. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean, logistics are such a huge challenge out of the Black Sea right now. And, you know, even today there's more news about how, you know, the ships are backed up and, you know, of course, the, the grain deal um, will expire, I believe, in the next 30 days. And so, you know, there's rumors that China's, you know, probably not going to be bidding on Ukraine because they're they don't want to get caught in this this uh, quagmire. So, you know, I think I think for the U.S. farmer, uh, you know, what they need to be wary of is the fact that, you know, as long as this Russia Ukraine conflict continues, it is supportive to our grain markets. I mean, that's okay. the bottom line. You know, we're, you know, we can sit there all day long and, and watch ships and watch grain deals, but man, you know, those countries are embroiled in a war and it's it's causing disruptions uh, that have widespread implications. And so, you know, if that were to resolve itself, you know, then yeah, maybe we're starting to stair step lower. But that's one of several things that, in my opinion, would need to change in the next year to get prices lower. And I think that, you know, that's taken me into into your question, yeah, Chip. Yeah. What's the probability we're lower in a year or whatever that timeline is? Yeah. Yeah. 
What are you thinking? It, it, uh, yeah. It feel, it, I'll just leave it there. What are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, here's, here's the three things I think are important to keeping the markets elevated. One, okay. as I just said, the Russia-Ukraine war. Yep. You know, I, I have no idea, zero insights to when that changes, but it sure doesn't look like it's changing anytime soon. That is supportive to, to grains and oil seeds and generally. Uh, energy markets, yes, they back down, but they're still very inflated. You know, natural gas is back down a lot, but it's still inflated versus, you know, what it was uh, 18 months ago. So that's keeping nitrogen prices higher. Diesel prices are super high still because of lack of refining capacity and crude oil is still high. I don't think energy prices collapse. You know, we've got China roaring back. So I don't think the energy market continues to deflate. Uh, which would be needed to also see grain prices come down. And then the third thing is, um, you know, the issue with the U.S. dollar. You know, the U.S. dollar was a huge headwind in 2022. Uh, and it really, in my opinion, it prevented us from getting to $8 corn. You know, if we'd have had the U.S. dollar stay where it was in 2021, we'd have gotten to $8 corn. But it didn't. The U.S. dollar rallied sharply, especially against things like the Japanese yen and the South Korean won. You know, I don't watch the U.S. dollar index. That's, you know, something that's not, you know, that's that's not really relevant for agriculture. So I'm watching individual currencies. Yep. And when you look at like the U.S. dollar versus Japanese yen between January and, and October of 2022, it rallied 30 percent. I mean, that's a basically a 30 percent tax on U.S. corn. Or, or anything else in the world market. Um, now, the good news was once we saw inflation sort of peak in October and expectations around the Fed probably not needing to rally sharply on, on interest rates, then the US dollar started to back down and it backed down about 12%. It's gone up a little bit in the last week or so, but I don't think that's a trend reversal. I think we're gonna see the US dollar continue to decline and I think that is supportive as well. So I need three things. If those three things line up, Ukraine war still exists, energy prices stay elevated, and the U.S. dollar continues to weaken, then I'm really thinking corn prices are strong odds to being higher than $6 for 2023. Right now, gotcha. it's 590. You asked me what's the odds. Yep. I'm going to say it's better than a Kansas City win in the Super Bowl. So. <laughs> Oh, oh, wow. oh, now. Ho, ho, ho. Right? I mean, I'm going to my neck out there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what if he's also got high odds on a Kansas City win? You don't know that, Davis. <laughs> this I like. This I like. Yeah. I can get behind that. I <laughs> uh, love that. Love it. All right. So, what? Is, what is a guy... And, and I'm thinking up in the, in the Northwest production areas, North Dakota, South Dakota parts of minnesota what is a guy in that area where he's really trying to figure out what his final acreage mix is going to be for 2023 how does he use what what you just laid out very very well in making his final acreage decisions yeah i i mean i think you know first of all chip my my assumption and and you know you've been in this business as long enough if not longer than i have so you may have a different opinion but my assumption is most farmers have it dialed in by now you know, they're, yeah, they're dialing no, in their top decisions uh, well ahead of when most of us analysts think they are. Most analysts are saying, oh, you know, it's March. They're making their acreage decision. No, they, they made those decisions in the fall and, 
you know, early, early uh, January. Yeah. So I think there's a little tweaking at the margin and certainly spring weather can play into it. You know, I think my advice to guys is, you know, you still have really, really strong basis in, in the Western part of the U S on corn. Uh, it's, it's not going to go sharply higher. Uh, you know, so you need to kind of look at like, if you're carrying corn in the bin right now, you know, I don't think you're going to get a, a huge carry from basis. Basis isn't going to do your work for you. So you may want to like liquidate some of that, you know, operating loans are going to be expensive this year, 10% or more on operating notes. So you really got to be cash conscious. How are you spending your cash? You know, are you tying it up in the bin? Or are you, or are you putting it to use buying inputs and, you know, getting things like 0% financing, um, you know, and so I, I think, you know, for 23, the 23 crop, yep. you know, I, I think maybe getting a little bit done on corn, but, you know, you know, we, we talked about the crop insurance yep. pricing window that's coming up. That's going to be some of your floor. That's going to be some of your protection, but I'm not an aggressive seller of 23 corn okay. uh, at 590 or $6. You know, I want to okay. hold on because I think, I think what's going on in South America now spells problems for corn. Uh, I think, you know, we're starting to see an uptick in U.S. corn sales because of some of the stuff we talked about, weaker dollar, a little more competitive position for the U.S. So I think the longer we go, the more it gets favorable for corn. And I want to be in a position to take advantage of that. Okay. Can you share with me your ideas on planted acres that you got in the balance sheet right now? for here? Yeah, I would say probably a million more on corn. Um, okay. And that's, I won't say that's a hugely scientific. We did a, we did a fall for or a, a fall survey just on kind of a thumbs up or thumbs down on acreage from our FBN farmers. And, and there was a slight lean of a little more corn. Beans were about flat. Uh, wheat okay. was up sharply, you know, which of course we saw in the January, uh, Can- wheat seedings but overall i just don't think corn goes up sharply can we get some acres from the south i mean cotton's not really doing too much to hold on you know it's interesting chip i was just down in wichita and and made the trip down to my homeland of oklahoma and i'll tell you something i hadn't been to northern oklahoma in quite some time and i was amazed at how much cotton there is there yeah northern oklahoma southern kansas has a lot of cotton and those guys like that cotton. So, you know, they, you know, guys I was talking to in that area, they're going to keep it cotton about where it's at to a little higher. They really are struggling with the extreme heat yeah. for beans and corn. Um, so, you know, I mean, well, I, plus I, you got I a cotton we'll picker see. that's, you got a cotton picker that's probably less than six or seven years old. You want to keep that? Oh, absolutely. Running. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Those guys put some money into those strippers and and cotton yep. pickers. So you're exactly right. That's right, Kevin. It's always great to talk with you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chip. All right, Kevin McNew from FBN. All right, when we come back, we'll have another look at the cattle inventory report next here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. 
FullScale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about FullScale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. I don't know what you're thinking. So call us at 855-4-TALK-AG and tell us what's on your mind. That was really good, Davis. Thank you. Been practicing. Welcome to AgriTalk. Davis Michelson here with Chip Flory. Chip, we just had a great conversation with Kevin McNew from FBN. I got a whole page of notes here, lots to think about. But uh, you mentioned the cattle inventory report. I know you love to talk cattle. I mean, don't yeah. don't try to deny it. We all know. I it. don't. I don't. Let's talk a little cattle. What you got? Okay. Uh, all right. We'll just hit the numbers. And and please don't forget that these the numbers that I'm looking at. I haven't. I've been doing something since basically two o'clock, and I haven't had the chance to do the numbers myself. So these are all rounded numbers from USDA versus some very specific numbers from from the the trade expectations. And this is an Erner Berry uh, survey, by the way. Uh, so trade expected January 1 cattle herd to be down 2.9% from a year ago. USDA came in with 89.3 million, 3% below a year ago. So that it, that's right in line. Now, beef, cows, and heifers came in at 28.9 million head, down 4% from a year ago. Trade was looking for a 4.2% decline. This is where it gets interesting. Beef replacement heifers. Uh, let me find that there from USDA. I know I just saw it. There we go. There's the milk. Beef replacement heifers. 5.16 million head, down 6% from a year ago. The trade was looking mm, wow. for a 3.5% decline. So if we are looking for signs that the beef herd is being rebuilt we need to keep looking because with that beef replacement heifer down six percent and the total number of beef cows out there down four percent sure doesn't feel like we're doing anything to rebuild that uh that beef cow herd at this point now the dairy cow inventory 9.4 million head it just says up slightly from the previous year it was expected to be down slightly, down 0.1%. So it's got to be right in line. I got a feeling there. And then on the milk replacement heifers, down 2%. Hmm. Down 2% from the previous year. Trade was looking for a 0.1% increase. Ooh. So it's on the it's on the females, the, the heifer replacements, uh, on both the beef side and the dairy side that is showing a uh, reluctance or just flat out the uh, the inability 
to expand that beef herd. I think it's an inability on the on the beef heifer side of things right now. You don't have grass, you don't have forage, mm-hmm. and the heifers are worth more going to the feedlot than what they are going out to pasture. That to me is an inability to expand. Now on the dairy side of things, with that two percent decline from year ago on the milk replacement, that's just uh that's reacting to, to market uh forces. We had a great conversation with Robin Schmall from agmarket.net on Friday afternoon. And he was talking about some of the headwinds that are in the dairy industry to expanding. And it's showing up, showing up right there. So I don't know exactly how to read this, Davis, because I don't see anything. Well, now, wait a second. There is one other piece of information that we should look at because the, 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 uh, the market animal number in the cattle inventory report is going to be a little different than what we get in the monthly cattle on feed report mm-hmm. because the monthly cattle on feed report is from feedlots with capacity or a thousand of a thousand head or more. This is all feedlots, all feedlots, 14.2 million head on January 1, 2023, down 4%, down a half a million head hmm. from a year ago. So... You know, you kill what six hundred thousand a week. So you, you basically, basically just under a week's supply of beef less in all feedlots. Okay. Okay. Um, just one other thing that I want to mention, mm-hmm. and it, it's becoming a bigger and bigger factor in our total beef supply is the beef genetics on the dairy herds. Mm. You know. Uh, we're getting beef animals out of the uh, out of the dairy industry now. Now, yes, it's a cross in most cases. Some of them are just doing a full embryo transplant, and, and those dairy cows are throwing full blood beef genetics. But uh, in most cases, it's going to be half dairy, half beef. But boy, they're figuring out how to feed them, guys. So mm. they're fitting into feedlots pretty good. I want to talk to you about balance when it comes to the oil seeds, in particular soybeans. Um, Kevin McNew was talking about 10 million acres worth of new demand coming to the market in the next two years, and then he backed yep. it back to 8 million. Do, yeah. do we need to be careful that we don't overdo expecting increased demand, or should we be hoping for decreasing export demand in the next two years? I mean, how does this, how is this offset going to work? Because I feel like there's a risk that everybody looks at that and says, "Oh my gosh, we got to plant more beans," and then pretty soon we just got too darn many of them and no place to put well, them. Well, yeah, more than likely that will happen for at least a short period of time. How much do you okay. trust China? Uh, not a whole lot. Not okay, a whole lot. Then why shouldn't we be looking for alternative uses of the soybeans that we're growing? Right now, I I I trust areas of Asia outside of China. And we've talked about this. Indonesia, uh, Cambodia, Mm -hmm. Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is great demand for soy product in areas outside of China. The biggest difference here is that China has a crush industry that it wants to support. Uh You get outside of China and, hey, they're more than willing to import the meal to feed their fish, to feed their birds, to feed their hogs, to feed their hogs to support dairy production. 
So it's it's a little bit of a different. So this, uh, you know, we it was right sizing. Okay, mm-hmm. when we mm-hmm. went through the '80s and '90s, that was kind of the catchphrase. We're right sizing, and even tech businesses were right sizing. Well, maybe we're right sizing in a in a mm. domestication of the uh, of the oilseed market here in the U.S. I'm going to quit calling it the soybean market. Yeah, Start calling it the oilseed market more and more. So, all right, thanks for listening today. Come back tomorrow morning, Congressman Randy Feenstra. The Farmer Forum, Tim from Iowa, Bob from Missouri.